This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Joining me tonight are the four candidates uh, running for that district. We have Madison Alder Samba Balda and Lindsay Lemmer, as well as local attorney Walter Stewart and Jason Vangelis, who has worked in various economic development roles. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for having us. Democratic voters in North and East Madison will choose between the four candidates on August 11th, and the winner will face the lone Republican in the race, Samuel Anderson, in November. Current Representative Melissa Sargent is leaving the seat to run for state Senate. All voters within the 48th Assembly District will also have the opportunity to elect a new state lawmaker in the 16th Senate District. The Cap Times, as Chris mentioned, hosted a Democratic primary debate for that seat last month, and you can watch it on our website or on our Facebook page. For this event, our four candidates will get two minutes each for their opening and closing statements, and in between, I will be asking them questions, some posed to all candidates and some individually. Each candidate will also have four opportunities to make one-minute responses to an opponent's answer. Now, we'll begin with opening statements. Prior to the start of this debate, Chris did a drawing to determine the order. We will begin with Mr. Vangelis. Mr. Vangelis, you have two minutes to provide opening remarks. Brenna, thank you, and thank you, Chris, and of course, thank you to uh, Wisconsin Eye and Cap Times for putting on today's event and the work that you did. A special thank you to uh, Lindsay, Samba, and Walt as well for their participation in today's uh, discussion as well. We're facing significant challenges right now, none more pressing than coronavirus, which has exposed the systemic failings of our systems and our institutions, highlighting the need for a comprehensive response for our approach, an approach that's comprehensive for our recovery and a plan from the virus, one that will highlight and prioritize the health and safety of everyone in the state, along with a focus on a recovery and rebuild of our economy that will pay special attention to expanding economic opportunity. This means that we need a representative that has comprehensive experience in things like responding to coronavirus. For the last four months, I've worked with federal partners like FEMA and SISA on building a multi-state response plan spanning over a dozen different states working to prioritize the health and safety of our employees, while at the same time ensuring the essential goods that our company produces is delivered to the, to the communities that we serve. This also means that we need to have a candidate, that, a representative that has comprehensive experience in rebuilding our economy. For the last decade, I've worked in community and economic development issues in places like Iowa, where I helped rebuild economies after major economic downturns and job losses, or in Missouri, where I helped expand economic opportunity through job diversification strategies, or in Kansas, working with elected officials and community leaders on building community growth amongst opposing viewpoints, or right here in Wisconsin, where I helped attract global companies to create new jobs and bring growth into the state of Wisconsin. In the last decade, I've helped create nearly 3,000 new jobs, and bring $10 billion in new investment to here in Wisconsin and around the country. We're facing significant challenges right now, and we need a leadership that has the experience dealing with comprehensive issues like responding to coronavirus and rebuilding our economy. I'm confident that my background will help restore and rebuild the city of Madison and the state of Wisconsin as the next 48th State Assembly District. Thank you. Thank you. Alder Lemmer, you're up next. Thank you, and thank you to everyone who is listening in, and thank you to the CAP Times for organizing this. My name is Lindsay Lemmer, and I am running for Assembly to stand up for our shared values and to get things done for the people in my district and the people of Wisconsin. 
I'm a native Madisonian. I went to UW-Madison and earned my MBA from Edgewood College, and I've been politically active since high school when I first began volunteering for Democratic campaigns. I currently represent part of the 48th Assembly District as an elected alder on Madison City Council. I've also served as a president of the Wisconsin chapter of the National Organization for Women, and I have also served as a communications chair for the Dane County Voter ID Coalition. All of my work has been about making change happen and finding solutions to really tough problems. On the City Council, I serve on the Board of Public Health for Madison and Dane County, the Equal Opportunities Commission, the Plan Commission, the Housing Strategy Committee, and the Public Market Development Committee. I've sponsored ordinances and worked on issues ranging from increasing housing access to protecting clean water, to reducing harmful plastic waste, to preparing for the effects of climate change, to increasing access to voting. And I've also seen the legislative process from the other side as an advocate working to encourage or discourage specific action on issues. As a president of the Wisconsin chapter of NOW, I led our state level issues related to equal rights and equal access. As a communications chair for the Dane County Voter ID Coalition, which is led by the NAACP and the League of Women Voters, I uh, fought to protect voting rights. And it's that combination of skill and experience as an alder and as an advocate that I believe sets me apart and is why I've earned the support of more current and former elected officials. In the State Assembly, I will be a leader who will prioritize funding for education, fighting to protect the right to vote, standing up for fair maps and ending gerrymandering, protecting reproductive rights, investing in strategies to end disparities and systemic injustice, strengthening our environmental laws, and working tirelessly on initiatives to rebuild our economy in the wake of COVID-19. And I look forward to sharing more about my platform and background. Thank you so much. Alder Bolda, you're up and you have two minutes. Thank you, Brianna. Uh, thank you, Jason. Thank you, Lindsay, and thank you, uh, Walter and uh, Captain, for putting this together. Uh, my name is Sambo Balde. I am an immigrant from uh, uh, West Africa, Gambia. I have lived in Madison, Wisconsin for uh, over 20 years. Uh, so all this time, I definitely have been a volunteer in the community. But like Jason said, uh, we are faced with big challenges uh, uh, in this uh, country, not only in the state of Wisconsin, but in the whole of the United States. Uh, my experience as a, a member of the Madison City Council uh, for about six years, uh, I have rose to uh, council vice president and council president. I have worked with two uh, mayors. Uh, my outreach to people that I disagree with policy-wise really uh, uh, put me in the forefront as to people who reach out to others. I have also been a volunteer in this community. I have been a big brother, big sister. Uh, I have uh, volunteered with uh, the Dane County uh, on Employment Department to help interpret for people uh, who cannot speak English but need jobs. Uh, I have also been a volunteer for the African uh, Association. I also serve on the uh, advisory board of the University of Wisconsin uh, uh, here in Madison. So like these are very challenging, challenging, challenging times. Uh, I think uh, uh, the fact that uh, we, we are living through COVID now we realize uh, what, what, what is behind even our healthcare system. I am ready and prepared to reform our, our, our healthcare system. Uh, we need to expand uh, Medicaid into the uh, state so that the federal dollars that are out there that are not uh, uh, utilized can come to the state and then people can, uh, we can create more jobs. Uh, so I also am a very uh, uh, big time advocate of uh, um, what I would call uh, our economy, our local economy. 
I am better situated really to uh, bring back the economy. My experience working in the city council as a head of the legislative body, working with department heads, uh, exposed me to the possibility of how to bring people together and bring them to the table so they can uh, agree on issues. So I'm looking forward to having a broader discussion around my policy and how I am better qualified to uh, represent the uh, 48th Assembly District. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Stewart, you're up. Thank you to the Capital Times, to Brianna Riley and Chris Murphy for bringing the candidates to the voters. My name is Walter Stewart, and I am asking for your vote for Assembly District 48. My wife, Pam, and I have lived in the area for the last 30 years. I have a bachelor's degree in government from Beloit College and a law degree from the University of Wisconsin. I'm the only candidate before you who has actually worked in the legislature. I worked in the office of the speaker, and I worked for the committee that oversees the activities of state agencies. Now I own a business, a law firm in downtown Madison, where our lawyers advise individuals, families, small businesses, and nonprofits. We assist them, we advocate for them. We are in the local courts, we are before the Wisconsin Court of Appeals, we are before the Wisconsin Supreme Court. I've always believed that lawyers should volunteer their time and talent to improve the community. Accordingly, I spent 24 years on local parks and recreation committee. I served on the board of housing initiatives to promote housing for persons who are poor, homeless, and mentally ill. I served on the board of the Northside Planning Council with its myriad activities in job creation and worker training. I helped to modify the Northeast Senior Coalition, which we now know as Newbridge, to keep seniors active in the community, connected, and safe. Assembly District 48 has always had a progressive voice in the legislature. We need to continue that in an assembly which has been coldly dismissive of issues of health, safety, and education. I feel strongly that the burdens of COVID-19 and legislation which will surely follow should not fall on those least able to carry those burdens. We need assistance and advice from experienced problem solvers. That is why I am running for Assembly District 48 and why I hope to earn your vote tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Now we'll move on to some individual questions. Just as a reminder, candidates will have two minutes to answer and then any contender can choose to jump in with a response of up to one minute. Um, the first question goes to Alder Lemmer. Um, Alder, you've been serving on the city council since last April. Why do you want to make the jump to state level work? And what realistically do you hope to accomplish in a legislature that will likely continue to be controlled by Republicans next year? Yeah, thank you for that question. I, I want to run because the people in the 48th Assembly District uh, deserve a, a, you know, a strong voice and a fighter who will advocate for them on the issues that are important to them. Um, the 48th Assembly District includes you know, portions of Madison's east and north sides that are extremely diverse. Um, uh, it includes great natural areas like Cherokee Marsh and some of our most rapidly developing areas in Madison. And as I talk to voters throughout this district, I hear their priorities are education and making sure that we fully fund it at all levels. They are concerned with voting rights and with fair maps, and they are concerned with systemic racism, and they care deeply about the environment. 
And of course, they are very concerned with how they emerge through this COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, these are issues that I feel passionately about and I will advocate strongly for. The biggest need is a representative who will fight for our shared values, make sure our voices are heard, and who has a proven track record of finding solutions to tough problems. As far as how I will you know, work as uh, someone who will be in the likely minority, uh, I will look for you know, shared you know, common ground. Common ground is my, going to be my approach. Um, I currently represent a diverse aldermanic district in terms of different perspectives and points of view. And I know that you know, we are going to have to come together on some things in order to get things done for the people who voted us into office. And it's going to be tough to find you know, things in common. Um, a couple of things that I can think of just off of the top of my head are um, if we are, were funding education at the levels, uh, at the state level that we should, um, the property tax burden on you know, property taxpayers throughout the state would be less. And I would think reducing the property tax burden would be of interest to Republicans. Uh, additionally, I think the, the policing reform package that was introduced by Governor Evers and Lieutenant Governor Barnes um, includes a number of initiatives that are largely supported by the Wisconsin Professional Police Association. And I would think, you know, for that reason, uh, that Republicans would be inclined to you know, come together with Democrats and find a way to get these things done. Thank you. Um, at this time, any candidate can jump in with a one-minute response if you'd like to touch on that. Otherwise, I'll, I'll go to Alder Balda next um, with the, the next question. All right, seeing no one, I'll, I'll jump in then. Um, Alder Balda, you're in your third term representing District 17 on the City Council. Are there any initiatives or efforts from your time in local government that you'd seek to continue building on at the state level should you be elected? Thank you for that question, Priyana. So I currently serve under what we call the uh, Community Development Block Grant Committee, which basically is responsible for, uh, also as part of his responsibility, is to provide down payment to uh, people who are buying homes for the first time. So one thing that I would like to take forward, I mean, if you look at the state of Wisconsin, there's a huge disparity in terms of home ownership for black people. We are basically at the bottom of the whole United States. So I want to make sure that uh, not only black people, but uh, uh, our, 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 our middle class, people who are uh, at our lower end of the financial uh, capabilities, have access to buying homes, and so they have access to down payment. Uh, recently, there's an effort uh, that I have been fighting for since the last government, up till this government, to make sure that business owners, particularly small business owners, have access to down payment. This is something that I would like to, uh, to, to support as I move forward if I am elected to uh, the State Assembly. Uh, it is also important to address our educational system. Uh, the state promised 60% payment uh, towards education. They are not fulfilling that. I will continue to advocate for that. I have been advocating for that at the local level. My understanding is that uh, some of our kids are going astray or not uh, doing what is right because of how they are brought up, the access to services that they have. I have been an advocate uh, to uh, increase the budget for our uh, child care department within TCD to over $2 million. So I will continue to advocate for criminal justice reform. Our criminal justice reform, our criminal justice does not just work now for everybody. Uh, if you look at it, for example, within the Dane County, uh, the black people constitute about 7% of the population, but we uh, constitute about 43 of the arrests. So this is mainly controlled, these are mainly controlled by the state. Uh, so I want to offer myself and uh, uh, to be at that level so that I can service my community. I've always been a servant leader. Uh, I am not taking this as a career. 
I am taking it to service the people that are most needing of our services. I think we all agree that participation of people of color uh, in government policies, uh, policy making is, is key, is very important. That is one reason I'm offering myself. I am leaving a job uh, where I am getting a six digit uh, salary to something merely that would give me $50,000 a year. So for me, this is about service to my people and I will continue to do that uh, as if I'm given the opportunity to service uh, the Korean Assembly District. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Stewart, this next question is for you. This is obviously your first time seeking public office. You've pre- Oh, sorry, Mr. Vangelis, did I see a hand wave there? Would you like yeah, to- Can I, can would I you grab like a response a on that one? Please do, sorry about thank that. You, thank you so much, Brianna. So I just want to touch really quickly on property taxes, which Lindsay mentioned and what Samba mentioned about home ownership. I think there are two critical things that we need to acknowledge here. The first of which is, Right now, there's, a, there's an order that will protect folks from getting evicted and from their home foreclosing on themselves. We need to, as a state legislature, understand that there's going to be an economic calamity if we don't address those two issues uh, post-coronavirus. Uh, post and so we need to create a plan for that. And what we can do is work within our state chartered banks to help with mortgage leniency payments by providing incentives for them. And then we can also work with landlords through the Wisconsin Housing Economic Development Authority to provide uh, uh, some levels of, of, of no interest loans for that uh, and work within that system to protect that. The other piece of this is the property is the state revenue shortfalls that will likely come due. One of the things that we can do from this is look within our existing tax code and identify those areas or those uh, by right tax incentives in particular, for example, the manufacturing tax and manufacturing tax and agriculture tax credit. Uh, we can look at that and we can go, let's collect that revenue now, which is about $300 million, and pay it back over a period of time at a later date. So we need real solutions for some of these problems that we're going to be facing uh, post-coronavirus. Thank you. Um, Mr. Balda, Alder Balda, at this, at this point, unless anyone else wants to weigh in, you have 30 seconds if you want to um, weigh in any further. Would you like to no, take sorry. the time? Yeah, okay. So I think Jason is right with regards to home ownership, uh, but also I will be an advocate of uh, 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 funding VIDA, uh, they, so they provide uh, affordable housing to our, our constituents. Uh, I will also advocate for um, uh, uh, continuation of uh, the eviction fund so that people who lose their job as a result of uh, uh, COVID or, or some other uh, uh, impact that may have come about because of COVID, uh, are still able to stay in their homes or in their apartments. So these are crucial times and these are services that government at least should be able to provide to their, their, their people. So I, I totally do agree with Jason in, uh, in his additions. All right, thank you all. Uh, Mr. Stewart, back to you. This is your first time seeking public office. You've previously told me that you had been considering running for office for some time. Why do you believe that now is the right moment and that the state assembly is the right place for you? Well, first, I believe now is the right moment because uh, Representative Sargent is, moved on, is moving on, hopefully, to the Senate. I think she'd be a very good senator. Uh, I thought she was very good in the Assembly. I supported her and did not see any reason why she shouldn't continue as long as she wanted. I think that Assembly District 48 uh, has a lot of good people serving in public office. And when, you, when you're satisfied with the people who are serving, you, you shouldn't try to force them out. So, that, so in answering your question, that's why I felt now is the opportunity to go into the assembly. Now, I have been a practicing lawyer for 37 years. As I said in my opening remarks, advising individuals, families, small businesses, and, and nonprofits. I believe that this is the kind of, of information, this kind of experience 
that ought to be brought to the assembly. Uh, there are fewer and fewer lawyers serving in the legislature, and I know that there's been a call to recruit people with legal background to ser serve in the legislature. Um, as I said in my opening remarks, I have a lot of experience working with people with whom we have disagreement. We just have to be able to talk to people, even though we disagree with them, to negotiate, um, to explore ideas and try to craft a resolution where a, where a compromise is possible. I also have a lot of experience working with people who are disagreeable. And in the assembly, there's no shortage of people who are, who are disagreeable. We have to be able to look past those personalities and try to keep our eye on what's important for Assembly District 48. So um, I think that um, a lot of the issues that we've been talking about here, and uh, Mr. Van Gallis brought up the issue of mortgage foreclosure and evictions. There are programs, for example, in, in Madison, if there's an eviction in Dane County, uh, it's brought before uh, a court commissioner and then to a mediator. And there's an attempt to try to resolve the difference between the landlord and tenant, find a way to keep the tenant in the, in the place and work with the landlord to make sure that they can cover the cost of, of that housing. So I think that there are a lot of programs that we can be looking at. Thank you. Um, seeing no one wants to jump in, I will move to Mr. Vangelis then for the final question of this section. Um, you had told me that you had considered running for state assembly back in 2012 while you were an undergraduate at UW-Madison. Ultimately, you decided the timing wasn't right. But why, why now? Why is the timing right now? And what would you bring to the chamber that you think sets you apart from the other candidates in this race? Yeah, thank you, Brianna, for that question. I, I would start by echoing uh, the initial statement that uh, that Walt had made. You know, Melissa Sargent, I think, provided good progressive leadership uh, within the district. I agreed with with uh, the, the values that she espoused and she believed in, and the programs and policies that uh, that she uh, moved forward. And I think beyond that, it's about she was a responsive uh, responsive representative, uh, and and really uh, uh, did right by her constituents in that in that particular way. In terms of uh, why now, I think if there was one word that would sum up why I decided to run, it's, it's community. And that first part is rebuilding our communities. Uh, we can't have a prosperous, successful state without strong communities as a foundation of that. And I think that begins with, of course, looking at safety, safety and health, healthy, uh, healthy living of our, of our communities uh, from coronavirus and also uh, our schools, making sure that we have strong, well-funded schools is a critical part of, about having strong communities. And then we need to look at expanding economic opportunity so that folks aren't excluded from our economic growth. The city of Madison has seen significant growth in the last uh, five, five years, and a lot of that growth has been centered around uh, white collar jobs. We can look at the job diversity within the east and north side of Madison. A good majority of those positions are not uh, thriving wage jobs. Uh, there's a good number that are focused on accommodation, retail, and, and food service, uh, with some focused on administrative services and others within healthcare and government. But when we look at what, what industries we can grow, we're not gonna be able to grow the healthcare and, and state government jobs in a way that makes sense. So making sure that we're strengthening our workforce and expanding student opportunities, especially for those students like myself who didn't have the resources uh, to, to go to college uh, or the emotional support from their family and that infrastructure in place. Uh, and then there's representation in, uh, in voice. Uh, I'm the only out LGBTQ plus person in this race. And I think it's essential that, that folks like, like myself have a voice at the table. Mark McCann likes to say, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And quite frankly, I'm fed up with members of my community ending up on the menu, with, with, especially within our trans community. Thank you. Um, 
Yes, Oler Balda, please go ahead first. I saw your hand. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, so I just want to re-echo a point that uh, Jason made. That is the, mm -hmm. is a member of the LGBTQ community. Uh, I think we should all agree that diversifying our legislative branches, diversifying our government uh, employee is very, very important. Uh, I can understand what a white person is going through, uh, what an LGBTQ is going through, but not to the extent they do. And so if we don't uh, deliberately, uh, and this is to the voters, uh, really diversify our, our, our legislative branches or even our government as a whole, the problems that we are trying to address right now or that we've been dealing with for the past 400 years will always be there. Uh, so this is a big reason also uh, why I am running, but I do believe in diversity and inclusion. Uh, I was running way before COVID. I was running uh, uh, way before uh, the, the, the flood situation in Minnesota uh, to bring diversity to the table. Uh, like uh, 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 Mark Koken would say, uh, if you are not at the table, you are at, on the menu. I have had this so many times. And so now you have the opportunity uh, 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 as, as electorate of District 48 to make a good choice here. Thank you. Thank you. Alder Lemmer, I see your hand. Please take, go ahead and take yeah. a minute. Thank you. I wanted to speak to the, the economic, very important economic issues that Jason spoke to. Um, on City Council, I have you know, advocated and championed for the uh, Market Ready Program, which is part of uh, my work in the Public Market Development Committee. It's a training and micro-grant program for underrepresented communities. And you know, I do think that you know, making sure that we have an economy that works for everyone, that lifts up our communities and creates opportunities is is something that legislators and policymakers have a very big role in and that we need to enact policies like raising the minimum minimum wage, restoring collective bargaining and prevailing wage to help grow wages. Uh, we need to invest in education. We absolutely need better access to broadband. That's a critical thing that we've certainly learned uh, through COVID-19. And uh, we need to invest in education and transportation and public investments that help us create jobs and move us toward full employment. And we know what doesn't work. Um, and that's the tax breaks for the wealthiest and corporate tax loopholes. Thank you. Um, Mr. Vangelis, you have 30 seconds now if you want to, you know, uh, add to anything that you previously said. I, I couldn't agree more uh, with the diversity and with uh, Lindsay talking about education, the opportunity for investment in those economic activities. I think what we need are solutions. For example, expanding economic opportunity on the east and north side of Madison. We can look at there's a $22 billion opportunity within our supply chain that we can look at creating new jobs from that. There's a, there's a, a number of opportunities uh, for us to work with our workforce technical college systems to expand programming. Uh, I've worked in communities like in Colorado where we helped uh, build work-ready programming in school districts so students have, didn't have to invest in higher education and they were able to graduate with jobs earning $20 to $25 an hour. All right, thank you all. We're gonna move on to the next set of questions now, but um, it, it, it's all centered around the novel coronavirus pandemic, which is obviously very top of mind as we've seen spikes here in cases, um, both in Dane County, Wisconsin, and also um, across the nation more broadly. Before I get into some individual quest questions, I first wanna pose a yes or no question to all of you. Uh, I'll, I'll call you out um, so you can answer. But the question is, should the state government act right now to require all individuals to wear masks if they go out in public with limited exceptions? Um, Alder Balda, let's start with you. Do you believe the state government should require uh, masks be worn in public? 
as just as opposed to saying yes or no, I think uh, the reality is that uh, America is a free nation, uh, uh, a nation that is built on freedom. Uh, and so what I would say is that for people who are out there, uh, this is not about yourself. It's about the people that you are interacting with. So if you believe that science is true and therefore uh, COVID is also true, and this is the way it transmits, I would say that don't even wait for the government to force you to wear a mask wear a mask and go out and mingle with the people. Uh, I think that is just a fair thing to do. That is just a just thing to do. If the government Would you decides, support a government directive, though? If, if the government give a directives, I am all for uh, really protecting others. And so I would wear a mask and I would advise everybody to wear a mask. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Stewart, same question to you. Would you support the state government acting right now to require all individuals wear a mask in public? Yes, I would. I think that uh, we, you may want to narrow that down, wearing a mask in public and as in a public place, an indoor public place versus outdoors. I think that there has been quite a lot of discussion regarding whether uh, if you're keeping your, your, your social distance and your outdoors, uh, whether that mask really is going to make a difference. But to answer your question, yes, in public. Now, the next question is, how do you do that? Uh, you can have, is the governor acting through the Department of Health going to issue another emergency order? We saw what happened when the legislature took that order to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court struck it down. I think that that was unwise. I think that that challenge to the governor's authority never should have been made. It's so obvious that we have a, a, a pandemic that we need to get under control. The governor tries to do something about it and the Republicans obstruct that to the point Thank where- Thank you, Mr. Stewart. That is, yep, yep. There are certainly constraints on the governor's authority, which we'll get to a little bit a little bit later, but thank you for answering the question. Mr. Vangelis, the, the same question to you, would you support a, a mandate that all, you know, all people wear masks in public? Marina, thanks for the question. It's never as simple as yes or no, is it? <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> the simple answer for me is, is yes. I think for me, the critical thing that we need to consider are, are folks in our, our Black and Latinx communities uh, and the issues around systemic racism that this state definitely needs to deal with. Uh, and, and in paramount beyond the safety of transmission is also the safety of their human body. And so I think uh, where, where it's safe to do so, I think that we need to make exceptions, especially those cases where, where someone feels that their life is at threat uh, or, or that there's a risk of uh, uh, incorrect arrest as a result of, of this policy. Thank you. Alder Lemmer, you're last. Um, yes or no, do you think the state should institute a, a policy that all individuals should wear masks in public? I do, uh, but as Walt spoke to, the, the Supreme Court doesn't agree. Um, and, and as Jason mentioned, this is something that we need to approach very carefully because of the systemic disparities and how people of color are treated and profiled. Um, and you know, with, with concern and um, uh, with concern with how they are treated with you know, masks. Um, and then also there are a number of health problems uh, that people can experience and make it difficult for them to wear masks. So um, if we can account for, you know, the systemic inequities and, you know, health issues, I think so, yes. Great. Thank you all. Um, so I have four more questions now about, you know, a little bit broader, uh, still about the COVID-19 crisis. And Mr. Stewart, let's start with you for this one. Um, uh, Mr. Vangel has touched on this a little bit, but the COVID-19 crisis has disproportionately impacted Black and Latinx individuals across the U.S., and, and those disparities also exist in Wisconsin. Should the state be doing more right now to address those gaps and provide support to individuals who are often frontline workers that rely on public transportation? And if so, what action do you want to see? 
yes, I think that this is a state emergency as well as a national emergency. And I'm very well aware of the fact that uh, the Milwaukee area has suffered greatly because of, of the large populations of color um, and the fact that a lot of them are in uh, essential services such as healthcare and so forth where they're likely to come in contact with, with the virus. So first I would uh, be looking at what steps can the state offer uh, Milwaukee public health. There's obviously testing that needs to be uh, taken care of. If somebody is tested, that we should find a way to get that person removed to a safe location, perhaps in a hotel where uh, they're not in a, a, a smaller uh, living unit with multiple, multiple generations. This will only um, compound the problem. Now, I don't mean to leave it just in Milwaukee. I'm just focusing on Milwaukee because I know that's where many of the cases have been. I've also uh, noticed the, the problems in the, in the meatpacking plants where people have to work closely together. Again, you have people, uh, a lot of them are, um, are immigrants. Uh, a lot of them uh, have to work. It's, it's not a matter of what some of their employers may be requiring them to work. And that's, a, that's another issue as far as, as far as COVID-19 goes. So I think that obviously there needs to, when we, when we know that there are these occupations uh, where people have more contact with the virus, we need more testing, and we need plans in place to keep those people who do have the virus and keep them safe and keep them safe from other people who might, who might be at risk. So what can be done now? Uh, right now with the legislature not in session and uh, a relatively unresponsive uh, joint committee on finance uh, to ask what can the state do? We're gonna to have to rely upon the governor and the governor's executive uh, authority um, whether he can fund it, whether he can make his program stick, that's another matter. But yes, if something does need to be done, especially for those specific population groups, in order to keep the rest of the state safe. We have to start with the ones most at risk if we're going to protect everyone. All right, seeing no hands, I will move on to the next question. Oh, I see a hand now. Alder Lember, would you like to yeah. take a minute to respond? Yeah, thank you. Um, I do think that the legislature needs to come back into session and address this. We have you know, a patchwork of, of solutions throughout the state and it's not enough. Um, the, the Supreme Court invalidating safer at home has been absolutely devastating. Um, and I think that you know, we need to you know, do things that, uh, that are similar to what has been included in the, the efforts of uh, public health medicine in Dane County. Um, we need to you know, rely on things like rapid contact tracing so we can identify and notify contacts that have been exposed. Um, and we need to make sure that everything that, everything that we're doing is you know, metrics and, and science driven, and we need to advocate for aid and support that prioritizes the businesses, families, and individuals that are most affected by COVID, frontline and essential workers, and we need to really prioritize you know, doing what we can to stop the, the shortages and help with the shortages of PPE throughout the state. All right, Mr. Stewart, would you like to take 30 seconds to add on to your original comments? Yes, I would. I, I like the idea of the legislature coming back in session and doing something about it. The question is, how is that going to happen? Are you going to have the governor call a special session? Well, the last time the governor called a special session, uh, the legislature gaveled themselves in, in the session and gaveled themselves out. The legislature who will, which will do that is not a legislature that's going to call, uh, call an extraordinary session. Nothing's going to happen there. This legislature has a tin ear when it comes to uh, responding to the needs of people who are most at risk, the people who are at the poorer levels of society. I think Ms. Lemmer is right, but it's not going to work. 
Uh, Mr. Vangelis, this next question is for you. The state Supreme Court, as we've referenced, in May knocked down Governor Tony Evers' extended safer-at-home order, constraining the administration's ability to unilaterally respond to the crisis. If you win election and are seated in January, what would you want the state to do to address a COVID-19 resurgence if it were to happen in the winter? Yeah, excellent question, uh, Brianna. I think that there's a number of things that we can do. I think the first thing uh, that I that I touched on was prioritizing our funding and making sure that we have that squared away because the state can't respond to this virus in a way that makes sense if we can't afford to, to pay for it. Uh, so the $2 billion shortfall uh, on, the, on the horizon, one thing that I mentioned was uh, looking at buy right tax incentives and creating some cre uh, creative accounting around uh, some of that. The first thing that we need to do is prioritize our funding. Look at those funding options that, that will impact health and safety. That becomes our priority. And then let's look at what is going to make our economic impact, uh, our recovery much quicker so that we can prioritize those. I think that includes things like education. It includes things uh, like healthcare. Uh, I think that we need to, uh, the decision not to expand Medicaid was certainly a, a horrific uh, miss on the part of, of Republicans. And so looking at, at how, we, how we do that and, and uh, expand uh, affordability of healthcare is critical. Um, on its face, I think that what we need to do is work within our county system. Each county has an emergency manager. Uh, we, can, we can work with the businesses in each of those counties to create a plan. I think one of the things that we learned in my own company was that we weren't prepared for something like this because we haven't faced a pandemic in, uh, in a long time. Uh, and my company spans 12 different states and over 30 different communities. And so it was incredibly important for us to have a pulse on what was happening. So my job was to work within all of these different jurisdictions that all had different plans, that all had different uh, responses to the virus. So having a consistent, uh, consistent level of basis, working through our emergency managers in each of the counties so that our businesses have a plan to respond, I think is number one. Uh, number two is protecting the uh, healthcare supply chain. Running out of uh, masks and, and uh, personal protective equipment was absolutely disastrous. My company worked with hospitals all over the country to make sure that they had that kind of equipment on hand. Uh, we worked with states like New York to be able to deliver essential goods to people that were impacted by that. So we need to, to safeguard those things and then look at investing in our healthcare infrastructure overall, things like hospitals, uh, nurses, doctors, the recruitment of, of medical professionals overall. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Stewart, it looks like you'd like to take a minute to respond. I think that uh, Mr. Van Gallis did a pretty good job in responding, especially the second half of his answer. Now, the first half of the answer, though, didn't really address the issue of what should we do in the event that we have another outbreak of COVID-19, especially this winter. And I think the one break point, hopefully, is that we'll have a vaccine. And then the question will be, how can we target the vaccine to those populations that are the most at risk? Those, and those are the ones that I was talking about earlier today, people who live closer together, people who are, have uh, essential service jobs, people or have to go to work perhaps because they're in the meatpacking industry. So if we don't have a vaccine, however, then we're going to have to, well, the one thing we learned from COVID-19 is how it exposed the fissures in the healthcare system. And that's what the second part of Mr. Van Gallis' answer, the fact that we didn't take the Medicaid money. We have people who are, who are uninsured. The state is going to have to step in. If we want to protect everybody, we're going to have to start protecting those people who are most at risk. Otherwise, we're going to be in much more serious trouble. This was a very difficult pandemic and a very difficult time. My, my own employees have had to deal with this. It's very sad. We need to be prepared. Thank you. Um, Alder Lemmer, please go ahead. 
Thank you. Just a quick point with regards to protecting our economy uh, in the time of COVID-19 and if there is a resurgence in the winter. One thing that is, is being largely ignored that really needs to be prioritized is access to child care and the impact of COVID on the child care industry and how uh, parents, single moms, absolutely you know, depend on having child care in order to work. So any solutions need to take into account child care access at, Perhaps providing you know, hazard pay is something that we really need to do for child care workers and you know, access to PPE for organizations and businesses throughout the state. Um, and then, of course, you know, packages addressing this crisis need to include small business loans, debt relief and forgiveness options, um, investments in worker training and, and skill building and support for businesses, rebuilding startups and expansions. All right, uh, Mr. Vangelet. Oh. Alder Waldo, please go ahead. Take a minute. I want to say that definitely most of the points are made, but I think it is important even uh, before we get to the resurgence, to avoid the resurgence, is right now to make sure that we let people know what to do to avoid getting to that level. I think that is very key. Uh, and as, as part of that, I think we should expand uh, uh, healthcare coverage for our citizens to an extent that if they cannot go at uh, a testing center, uh, they should have access to other areas, so they either they are paying through their insurance or something. But nobody should be constrained from testing just because they cannot pay or that they, uh, they are not no public places. So let's expand on testing so everybody is tested. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I have supported uh, childcare, and I think it is important because kids are more touchy uh, than uh, we are. And so how do we make sure that in the era of COVID that uh, kids are... Uh, 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 taken care of. Schools are very important. This is one area where I think uh, if we listen to the federal government right now who is advocating for opening schools now and we do not do it with due diligence, then again we'll get to that level where COVID will resurge. So how do we work with the schools now to make sure that when kids go back to school either at the classroom or virtual, that it is done in a way that we will not get into that uh, resurgence of COVID. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Vangelis, now we're going back to you for a 30-second response. Great. Yeah, all excellent points, I think, that were brought up and things that we need to consider. Uh, I think that what I've heard a lot is that, you know, we can't do it because the, the executive order in the, in the Supreme Court, and I agree, that's, that's not a route that we can take. Uh, I've heard a lot um, coming from uh, folks talking about we can't do anything because the state assembly that's currently in existence won't do it. I think we need to look beyond just necessarily policy. I spent a good deal of my time building uh, alignment and stakeholders uh, among private industry and among uh, other groups. We can work within uh, the, the private sector uh, across the state of Wisconsin to build alignment around this issue, and we can we can impact policy indirectly and impact this issue indirectly through partnerships with private with our private sector uh, businesses. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. The next question is for Alder Lemmer. Um, Alder, if you're elected, you'll be joining the assembly as the next biennial budget is being written. What should state officials be prioritizing as they make what will likely be tough spending decisions during that process? Mm -hmm. Thank you for that question. You know, budgets are about priorities and they should reflect our values. 
I will prioritize investment in education at all levels, um, from pre-K to K through 12, to Wisconsin Technical College System, to the UW system, to making sure that we're supporting for important career development, such as apprenticeships, um, effective initiatives to reduce disparities, efforts to increase voter participation, and environmental protection. And as a legislator, I will look to find opportunities for savings without diminishing the quality of key services that Wisconsinites deserve and expect. And we really need to be looking at additional sources of revenue, such as expanding Medicaid, which I think we, we all know in the current budget, Republicans chose to spend state taxpayer money on Medicaid and other healthcare services that could have been paid for by accepting federal funds for expansion. Um, and, uh, you know, if we did accept, you know, federal dollars to fully expand Medicaid, that would, you know, give, you know, 80,000 more people uh, care that they need. And uh, there are also substantial savings to, to be had by reforming our correction system. And I think that we need to look to your know, regional solutions as well uh, for additional sources of revenue. All right, thank you. Um, see, oh, Mr. Stewart, I saw your hand first. Would you like to take a minute? Yes, I'd like to expand briefly on what uh, uh, Alder Lemmer said. Um, the, when I talk about the need to focus on health matters, I, I think we have to think more broadly than just taking the Medicaid uh, dollars and providing more financial help for hospitals. The bottom line is that we have a nursing shortage now, and that shortage is going to get worse as the population gets older. And if we don't have people in place to help provide um, health services, for uh, the disabled, for uh, sick persons, and for the elderly, those jobs are going to fall upon other family members or on volunteers if those volunteers are available. So uh, I think that one of the major priorities we need to do in light of the COVID uh, situation is to increase encouraging people to go into nursing and health activities. We need those people now, and we're going to need them even more as the population gets older and, and more vulnerable. All right, anyone else would, who would like to respond? Mr. Vangelis, go ahead. Yes, uh, thanks, Brenda. The question about uh, budget, I think, is essential. Right? We, can't, uh, we can talk about prior, prioritizing our funding and, and having those uh, funds match our values, which is, I think, essential. But at the end of the day, we still need to pay for all of these things. And I don't think we can look at our budget and identify areas where we can find savings. Uh, I think some of it, but I don't think we're going to be able to find all of the money that we need to fully fund our education. So we need to begin looking seriously at real solutions for uh, alternative funding methods. One of those ways is looking at uh, using our sales tax on services. Right now, things like accountants and lawyers, uh, those services aren't taxed. There's an opportunity to do that. Uh, in Illinois, they use uh, tax increment financing to help fund some of their education. I think there's an opportunity to, to look at how our TIP districts are assembled, the types of uh, funding that we can leverage from that for our, our education funding. And I think we can look at linking uh, the development of housing and both multifamily, mixed use, and single use family housing uh, to help better fund our school districts more locally. Uh, there's, there's an opportunity for that as well. Alder Balda, go ahead. I think they all make good point, but I think in addition to all that, uh, like it is projected that the state will be losing about $2 billion. Uh, we cannot touch our way out of uh, uh, that $2 billion. Uh, but I do think that our tax system should also be uh, progressive. I also believe that we should, uh, even if it is for a temporal uh, period of time, that we should tax uh, our, the most fortunate uh, Wisconsinite, at least to go through uh, this difficult time. 
Uh, I am not a proponent of taxing uh, to our way, but I do believe that sometimes do call uh, for uh, some of our most fortunate uh, financially uh, to uh, take up the burden uh, uh, to, to a certain extent to help us out of uh, uh, the hole. So I would advocate uh, for a temporal uh, tax hike, particularly on the wealthy 15% uh, uh, of the state. All right, Alder Lemmer, it's back to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I do want to you know, agree that you know, we have a problem with tax in this state. Um, our property taxes are too high and people are struggling to stay in their homes. And I think this reflects a fundamentally flawed system in which too much of the burden is being placed on average homeowners and small business owners to pay more than their fair share. And it is a contributor, an enormous contributor to the substantial disparities in education throughout the state. Um, you know, as we've discussed, you know, the state does not meet its two-thirds funding commitment to our schools, leaving more and more of the burden on property taxpayers, and this is magnified by all the dollars being diverted to private voucher schools that could be going to our school district, and I see that my time has been up for a while, so I will stop. Thank you. Um, Alder Bolda, I'm actually going to you right away. So let me oh. throw a question at you and then feel free to, you know, get into whatever issue you wanted to, to address. All so right. this is about taxes. We talked a little bit about this this last week, um, you know, the impact of the COVID-19 crisis on the state's revenue streams. And at the time you talked about, you know, um, maybe implementing a tax, a temporary tax on, on the wealthiest among us. But you had also talked maybe about a, a tax on services you know, including the services that lawyers and accountants provide that would be lifted once the pandemic ends. Um, is that still an idea that you're, you're playing around with? And what are some other um, options that you're considering for, you know, raising revenue during this time? Yep. So that still is something that I think should happen. Like I said, uh, uh, Americans are very compassionate and uh, uh, they, they go by this notion of, uh, uh, you know, uh, helping your neighbor uh, and things like that. So I still think that the wealthiest among us, people who get the opportunity to be much richer than me and you or uh, some of us who are here, should, you know, bear the burden, at least for a minute. Uh, like I said, I am not for taxes. Uh, recently, the city of Madison just uh, added a $40 tax, uh, what they call real tax. I was completely against that because I think that is not progressive. The tax is meant to burden the poorest amongst us. Yes, if I can buy a COVID and um, uh, one of the most expensive cars in the world, then yes, I can pay that extra $40 uh, uh, for that expensive car. But honestly, I think uh, we have to look at our taxes. Uh, we, I think the poor and middle class is overboarding with taxes. I am really, really a Democrat, but I do hate taxing uh, particularly the poor uh, amongst us. So I would really advocate for uh, uh, revisiting our sales tax. What, what item are we taxing and how much are we taxing them? But also services. I do not see. I see no reason why big lawyers who are making tons of money as uh, services should not be taxed. So I would still explore that possibility to make sure that uh, every possible opportunity that is out there to bring us uh, out of the hole of the two billion dollar hole is addressed. Uh, but some of these things, I would advocate that they be on temporal basis. All right. Would anyone like to, uh, Mr. Stewart? Let's start with you. I can be brief on this one. Uh, we've seen uh, periodically the idea of taxing services provided by accountants and attorneys. It's not a new idea. It has never been accepted. Uh, first, to realize that uh, a tax on services, a tax on sales, is essentially a regressive tax. 
there may be some popular belief that only the wealthy will pay for accountants and uh, attorneys. Uh, we all know that in the course of it, the whole idea of a sales tax is that it, it essentially passes the burden onto the consumer. The, whoever's providing it is just going to tack it on as an additional cost. So I think we have to be very careful there. I think, however, that there are some other taxes that uh, might appear to be regressive, but ought to be considered. So for example, the gas tax used to be indexed. 30% of the gas tax is paid, by, paid for by people out of state passing through here. So uh, when you say, talk about, well, we don't want to increase the tax on gasoline, consider the fact that a lot of that revenue is going to come from people who are not in the state of Wisconsin. That might be one area that we need to look at. All right, thank you. Uh, Mr. Vangelis, please go ahead. I want to first just address uh, uh, Samba's comment uh, earlier about uh, not just taxing our way through it, and I absolutely agree. I think that we need to, again, look at how we can work within our existing tax system, and I think sunset laws are a great way to control the way that we raise revenue, and it ensures to voters that there's public trust in how we use that money in it in a way that, that makes financial sense and, and takes fiduciary responsibility. I think one thing that our predecessor, uh, Melissa Sargent, had advocated strongly for is the legalization of marijuana as an additional stream of revenue. I think the way that we regulate that has to certainly be considered and, and looked at, especially when we look at states like Colorado or Florida or Massachusetts, and we looked at kind of how that, that business environment kind of became very siloed and, uh, and, and narrowed in terms of who owned those businesses. I think there's a unique way that we can do it here in Wisconsin that allows us to generate revenue from it and it creates an alternative revenue stream. I think, uh, you know, as a, as a person who helped companies decide where they locate, tax is certainly a big piece of that. And, and we have one of the highest corporate income, one of the highest uh, personal income taxes in the country, but we need to decide what are those additional revenue sources that we're going to uh, implore or implement that, that uh, we, we don't have now. And uh, we need solutions that cover those, those gaps in funding beyond just uh, temporary solutions. Thank you. Um, all right, we'll go back to Alder Balda now if you want to take 30 seconds to expand upon your answer. I totally disagree with uh, uh, the marijuana part of it. I think, uh, uh, and that goes beyond just taxes. I mean, I think uh, we've seen that a uh, good number of the states uh, within this country are now legalizing marijuana for recreational, but also for medical purposes. Our next door state, uh, Illinois, has it uh, uh, legal. And so I think that is also a good stream of income that we can capitalize on to really uh, uh, close the, the, the income gap. All right, thank you so much. Um, we're gonna move now on to a short lightning round of questions to give listeners a sense of what each of you are like beyond just policy. So don't think too long on these answers. And um, let's start with Mr. Vangelis. Um, what are some of the creative ways you've had to employ to reach out to voters and get the word out about your candidacy over the last few weeks and months? Uh, lots of phone calls, but I think the most creative uh, was when we were collecting signatures. I decided to do tabling events, uh, both at, at my house at the end of my driveway, and it involved a lot of screaming at strangers that I didn't know across the street. Uh, a lot of Germex was used and actually ran into Walt uh, at one point or another during that time as well. What about you, Alder Limmer? What have you been doing to get the word out about your candidacy? Lots of phone calls, thousands of phone calls, um, yeah, and you know, increased online presence, posting uh, you know, videos of my positions, um, and, and of course, mail. Alder mm -hmm. Balda, any creative ways you've uh, sought out to get the word out? Yes, so what I realize is that uh, a lot of Americans do have dogs and they love their dogs, and so they like to go to their dog parks as well. So one way I've connected with my uh, constituent is to go to the dog park and talk to them. 
I have also uh, increased my digital presence. Uh, I know a lot of people are now uh, living in the digital world, including what we are doing under normal circumstances. We would have been face to face. So I have increased that. Uh, the other thing I have done is to uh, recruit a lot of volunteers. So I have a lot of people out there who are reaching out to people and talking to them uh, about our campaign and the policies that we would advance uh, if you're lucky to be elected. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Stewart, what about you? Well, I've learned a great deal about digital marketing, more than I ever thought that I would learn. Um, it's been very valuable, and I, and, and I hope to use it in the future. Also, um, I've never had to make a video before, and so and that, I found that uh, to be enjoyable and also a wonderful learning experience, and, and uh, uh, would recommend that. We have been doing a lot of telephone calls because we are concerned. We, we'd love to go door to door, uh, but many people are telling us no, don't come to my door. We, I don't want you coming to the door. Uh, on the other hand, we hear that people have been cooped up in their houses and they'd like to be able to talk to somebody. I, I'd like to talk uh, with Mr. Baldwin more about the dog park because I tried to get nomination signatures at the dog park. There were lots of people and they were very friendly, but they didn't live in the district. Uh, well, exactly. That's, that's another thing. Obviously, a good number of them also didn't live in my district, but you know, at least you interact with them and then hear what their stories are and their well, issues. What do you are, do? What so. do you do? Yeah, exactly. So it was also a fun, apart from just uh, 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 scouting for votes or just uh, listening to issues. But you know, I mean, I, I, you'll have fun being there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but that was that was some really cute advice. I appreciate it. And of course, I love to see um, Alder Lemmer's cat also join the debate yeah. as soon as we're talking about dogs. It's fitting, right? She has to appear in all of my meetings. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll go back to you now for this next uh, lightning round question. Um, have you picked up any new hobbies, Alder Lemmer, during the COVID-19 pandemic? And if so, what are they? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going on more walks which is great, um, especially since you know, COVID-19 hasn't been, been great on my waistline with you know, sitting around and being on the phone a lot. So um, lots of walks and, and yeah, I'm gonna go with that. And you know, you have more time to, to read. And I think I've been a little bit cleaner too. I've had more time at home to, to clean up and, and be better organized. So kind of a lame answer. I can relate to all of those things, but so I appreciate that. Um, Alter Balder, you're next. Um, what sort of hobbies have you picked up if you picked up any new ones during the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, yeah, so I'm really an outdoor person. Uh, under normal circumstances, even if I go to work at an office, I must make sure that at long time I get out of the office just to do me something outside. So COVID had really turned things upside down for me. I hate being in the house 24-7, but I have learned to really, in my mind, to segment it from an office to a bedroom and a living room. So when I get up in the morning, I have made it a habit to come down to the basement where I am right now, where I have my office, to let my brain know that in a, I am in an office environment. So it's not looking like I am uh, in the house 24 seven or something like that. The other thing that COVID has done is really, um, for me, I believe in uh, 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 small businesses, but also local. Uh, I have made it a schedule to make sure that at least every other day I call a local business within my district to order food. Uh, and so that is something that I was not doing regularly, you know, I mean, and things like that, but uh, that is what I do right now. The other thing is really to do Zoom uh, for friends that uh, I usually would meet uh, for drinks or something. I can do that now. So I have been uh, in touch with them through Zoom uh, and I never really thought about using Zoom even to call 
other part of the world, my other part of the uh, Samba, which is Africa. And so that has become something uh, uh, that I have explored now. So instead of just a, te a telephone call, I have been able to have a facial conversation uh, with these people. Uh, mm -hmm. So obviously, uh, it's, it's, it's a mixed feeling. I hate being in the house 24-7. Uh, but at the same time, it has also made me much more uh, 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 effective in terms of doing my personal work. Uh, I generally would have done that at work, uh, after work, sit there and do some personal, but now I'm in the house 24-7, so it helps me to really uh, do my chorus that way, uh, personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm using Zoom a lot more too. I, I can relate to that. Uh, Mr. Stewart, um, the same question for you. Have you picked up any new hobbies in the last few months? Well, that's actually somewhat of a dangerous question uh, because my <laughs> wife has been telling me for years that I have way too many hobbies and I need to scale back. So, but I have picked up one hobby that I think we can all uh, relate to, and that is I have picked up the hobby of running for public office. <laughs> it, has, it, it takes a tremendous amount of energy and a tremendous amount of time. Nobody told me how much work it was to, to run for public office. Um, there are many parts of it that are quite, uh, quite enjoyable, mostly the people with whom I work. And I will build upon what Alder Balda said about Zoom. Uh, I, I never used Zoom before <laughs> COVID-19, and now we're using Zoom, Zoom all the time. So yes, that would be probably the most pronounced hobby that I've picked up. I've, some of my other hobbies have suffered uh, because of running for public office, but uh, everything will come to an end at some point. Oh, Mr. Vangelis, in addition to your hobby of running for public office, do you have any other hobbies that you've picked up in recent weeks? Uh, yeah, yeah, less of a new hobby, more of a new way to play an old hobby. So uh, my partner and I really like uh, playing board games and card games with friends. Uh, and so yeah. we found a way to do that uh, via Zoom uh, or through a website called trickster.com. If anyone's looking to play a good card game, it's a good good place to go to uh, to play, play card games. So uh, a new way to play an old hobby, I guess. That is a great tip. I'm going to look that up. Thank you. I'll have to do that later, too. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. We're going to jump back into more questions, but I first have to do a, a quick time check. I am... We are in a position where you all have exactly one rebuttal left, one response left. Um, so you, you've all used three of them. And we are also running quite short on time. Would it be okay if we went a little bit over so I could get a, a couple more questions in for all of you? Yes. Sure. All right. You're all such good sports. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. <laughs> so we're going back to individual questions now. And at the Cap Times, we've launched what we are calling a people's agenda to help guide stories we cover during this election cycle and beyond based on reader and community inputs. While we haven't published our results yet, we are already noticing some common questions among respondents that I wanted to make sure I asked you all about. Um, so the next four questions are sort of a potpourri of topics, and it'll be fun, I hope. Um, but we'll begin with a couple on policing and overhauling current law enforcement practices. Um, in my article this week about the election, you all agreed that the state should act on these issues, but you had different ideas for what that action should look like. Alder Balda, this first question goes to you. We have talked about what the state should be doing right now, um, ideally, in your opinion, to address what's going on. But what long-term action should the state also be looking at in order to finally ensure that Wisconsin is a place where all people are safe, healthy, and can be successful? With regards to uh, policing, I think uh, uh, I met with uh, the sheriff of the county, uh, and I met with the uh, district attorney, Ismail Ozen, to talk about some of these issues. I think what is important is that our law enforcement, 
need a revamp, a revamp in the sense that they need a lot of training in the profession that I come from uh, as a software engineer. Uh, there's uh, almost every day you are learning new stuff. So there's what they call this continued education. Uh, uh, law enforcement need to uh, uh, take that route so they are continually learning the, uh, the cultures of the communities that they police, but also the, uh, uh, the nuance within our community as to how they police. Uh, before I get elected, before I even think of running for political office, I work with the Madison uh, Police Department and the African immigrant community for training. Uh, in my native country, if the police pull you over, you can get, up, get out of your car and go meet the police and have a conversation. In the United States, not only in Madison, if you do that, they will shoot you and kill you. So there are a lot of cultural differences. So training is very, very important for the police. But I hold law enforcement generally. But I also do think uh, we need to look at what are police policing, for example. If we want to be fair to everybody, to make so that, uh, look, the police is not out there getting into a situation they should not even get into, then we need to look at the, the services that our police department provide. For example, good number of, if you look at the, uh, the call logs, uh, uh, um, within the, the police report. Majority of them is domestic disturbance. Uh, should we send the police to those domestic disturbance? In some cases, those result to violence. But who should we send there? So we need to look at how we police our communities. We need to look at training for our, our communities. But we also need to look at uh, uh, beyond that our criminal justice reform uh, system. Once you are sent to prison in this state, even for five years, you are most likely to be there for, for the rest of your life. Uh, every little bit of mistake when you are on a probation will basically send you back for the whole period that you are supposed to be on probation. So uh, I, uh, if elected, I would encourage that we do a lot of training so people understand each other about priority budgeting as opposed to defunding uh, 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 some of these law enforcement agencies. Thank you. Um, anyone want to respond to that or I'll move on? Okay, Mr. Stewart, this is your last response. Go ahead. Well, I won't have many more minutes for it. Um, I would agree with Mr. Balda that we could Im improve training for police, uh, particularly training in cultural bias, because I think that's been driving a lot of the criminal justice problem here. Uh, that we can have state standards that the legislature can enact, but we can also look to the industry, such as Wisconsin Professional Police, and say, what can you do to improve the performances uh, within your own ranks? Uh, as I mentioned, there were 14 bills that Governor um, Evers and Lieutenant Governor Barnes proposed, but we won't be able to get to that for a while. Uh, I mentioned earlier about the doctrine of, of qualified um, immunity. That will help uh, to focus on police officer individual responsibility and give them a, um, uh, an incentive not to engage in police lawlessness. Um, we can stop crimeless incarceration. Somebody is sent back to jail because they violated a particular portion of, of, their, of their parole. Uh, that just increases, gets them out of the labor force, gets them off the community, but imposes a cost on us that we just don't need. There's no reason for crimeless uh, incarceration. Thank you. Um, seeing no other hands, we'll go back to Alder Balda for 30 seconds. So, uh... The other thing that happened with the criminal justice uh, 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 system is that as soon as you are arrested by law enforcement, you lose all your state and federal benefits. So imagine that. Now you are getting into trouble where you may need a lot of health uh, uh, healthcare uh, coverage, where you will need uh, help to get food, where you will need help to uh, shelter yourself. Every benefit that was there for you is cut off immediately for 60 to 90 days. 
So there's a lot of reform. If we believe that when you commit a crime, you are punished for it, and therefore you should come back to society and be a productive member, we should make that doable. We should make that doable. We should not continuously uh, endeavor to incarcerate our people. Thank you. Um, Mr. Vanglis, I actually have a related question for you, so let me jump jump to you right now. Um, Governor Tony Evers and Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, as was referenced here tonight, proposed bills last month that would ban the use of chokeholds by police, only allow deadly force as a last resort, bar no-knock searches, increase training requirements for police use of force options, and so much more. Do you think those proposals go far enough, and are there more policies the state should be looking at? I think that, you know, we can talk about training all day long. The city of Madison was one of the first uh, uh, the first police districts to actually implement implicit bias training in the country. But we can still see how there are still issues uh, with our own police department. And I don't think we can talk about policing without talking about realigning our entire public safety infrastructure. We need to look at how we invest in things like community social services and community health and align uh, our values and our funding to treat those, those uh, issues early on. My own family has struggled with addiction. Uh, all three of my older siblings have served time in the criminal justice system. Uh, my sister is due to be out in October and she doesn't have any safety net of systems when she leaves. And this is her second iteration after getting out a, a year ago. So I, I know firsthand what that's like to see your family struggle without the support systems that are in place. So we need to invest in, in social support systems that will help people with reentry after they leave the criminal justice system. We need to have conversations about decriminalizing things like marijuana and none uh, in, in, in more petty crimes, uh, like Walt had mentioned. Uh, and then we need, to, we need to talk about setting standards, uh, statewide standards like uh, the Evers proposal. Uh, making sure that that uh, there is a, a standard of behavior. But then we need to, to take a look at the Ahmed Arbery case, where we had three to four uh, district attorneys have to step out because of conflict of interest. We need to invest in state-level resources so that investigations that do take place take place at a state level that allows our district attorneys to continue with their relationship with the police, while at the same time making sure that there's public trust in that investigation process and that there's accountability to be had. We need to work with our police unions to create uh, a reasonable uh, contract uh, requirements within, uh, within our policing. And finally, we need to empower local municipalities to manage the police in the way that they see fit, even if that does mean that we have all of these different systems. But we need to empower our local elected officials to be able to take uh, accountability uh, to the police officers. Thank you. Um, Mr. Yep, Alder Bolden, it looks like this is your last response. Go ahead. Oh, I, I just uh, I want to say this. Uh, I agree with Jason. Uh, um, I also think um, uh, many of the people who go to the uh, uh, criminal justice system are people of color and poor people. And so I also do believe that we should increase funding for public defenders. Uh, that's one problem where you know people of color or you know poor people uh, get in trouble with the law. They don't have good counsel. They don't have. I mean, it's not the fault of the DA or the, 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 the uh, district attorney's offices, but if they are less funded, I mean, if they are supposed to have 20 public defenders well paid uh, and they have only 10 who are not well paid, then that is a problem. I also do uh, think that uh, uh, we, will, we need to review uh, our police procedures. 
Uh, the Madison Police Department, for example, uh, I was a very strong advocate for uh, uh, contracting uh, OIR to do uh, a review of how they do their operational procedures. Uh, and out of that study, we have 177 recommendations. So think about that. If you do that for every police department and you have 177 or more, and we are able to implement this, then we will make our police department much better and more representative of the people that they police. Thank you. Anyone else want to respond who has uh, responses left? No. All right. Um, Mr. Vanglis, we'll go back to you for a 30-second um, additional response. This isn't a new issue. This is something that certainly has been around for a very long time. Well, the advent of cell phones has allowed us to see it more clearly. We need to realize that human lives are at stake and, and people's lives are being destroyed. Uh, I remember vividly visiting my father in prison one time and reading a letter to the editor that I'd written because people were saying very, very mean things about him. Uh, and it was one of the hardest things that I had to ever do. Uh, so sitting across from a family member and seeing them suffer in this situation, it's heart-wrenching. And so a large reason why I'm running is to bring that voice to the table to make sure that folks that have been through this criminal justice system have a voice at that table because I've seen the destruction that it causes to these families. Thank you all. Um, switching topics, Mr. Stewart, we had heard a few concerns from respondents to our people's agenda about civility in politics and the ability to work across the aisle to get things done. Given that the state will likely remain in divided government after this election cycle, how would you balance pushing for progressive priorities as a state representative and perhaps settling for more moderate incremental change that could get broader bipartisan support if you are elected? Well, my experience working not only in the legislature, but in uh, other dispute resolution systems is, first off, you have to be very, very clear about what you want to achieve. What, what are your objectives? And secondly, it's also a very good idea to realize that you're working with other people. You have to find some way to get into their heads and find out what is important to them. So in the legislative system, for example, um, all bills or almost all bills go through the committee system. And by the time a bill gets to the floor, if you're in the minority, you're not gonna have much influence over that bill. So the way to act is in the drafting of the bills and in the, and, and in the committee work. This requires rolling up the shirt sleeves, learning the issues, learning the options, figuring out what the other legislators want, what they need in order to satisfy the concerns of their district, and then trying, trying to work with them to build a better bill. Even when that's done, you still have to convince leadership that this better bill is worth time on the floor. So that may mean having to appeal to voters, to the electorate and say, this is what you want. And if this bill comes to the floor, it's the best result that you're gonna get. Now, people may say, well, what about the progressive agenda? And uh, I say, well, you don't want the excellent to be the enemy of the very good. And in the legislative process, getting 100% of what you want is very, very slim. So you have to go in there with a clear idea of what you want and realizing what the other people have in mind. It could be a, a fiscal issue. It could be the fact that they don't care about this particular problem in, in their district and they'd rather think about something else. You have to be able to communicate with them, even if you disagree with them, and show them that the agreement benefits both sides. That takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of listening and learning. And that is a skill that I believe I can bring to the legislature. I don't expect to get everything that I want. I look at, for example, the bills that Melissa Sargent has proposed. She has some very good bills in there, legalizing marijuana and a tax break for home, home health care providers. She didn't get those bills. They, they were good bills, but nevertheless, they didn't pass. We still have to try. 
Thank you. Uh, Mr. Vangelis, this is your last response. Go ahead. Great. I, I think that uh, on, the, on the topic of getting something done in the minority party, I think we need to again look at what I said earlier about prepping for a response to coronavirus. It's building a network beyond just the state legislature. All of these representatives have constituents in their home districts, and we can do that with, uh, with networks of organizations. Take, for example, expanding economic opportunity. We as a state are all connected. The northern part of the state wants more jobs, just like Madison wants more jobs. And we can help create those jobs and build into that progressive policies that help us get where we need to do that. And one of the ways that we can do that is working with a group like Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce. Their, their job is to promote the state from a manufacturing perspective, and we can build workforce development policies into those, those, those programs which allows us to st st at the same time build new jobs and create new jobs while expanding economic opportunity here uh, in Madison, while at the same time helping uh, places in the northern part of the state diversify away from environmentally uh, damaging uh, industries. There's almost a million people that are employed in, in a number of different industries like mining, uh, agribusiness, and manufacturing. They account for nearly a third of our GDP. So if we can help them diversify away from those uh, industries while at the same time creating new jobs, uh, both there and here, it's a win for everyone. Thank you. Um, seeing no other hands, I will go back to you, uh, Mr. Stewart, if you wanna take 30 seconds to add on. Yes, I, uh, I find that Mr. Van Gallis's answer agreed with what I said earlier when I said that if you're not gonna get progress working with that legislator one-on-one, -on -one, then you may have to look beyond the legislative office, looking at that voter base, looking at the, the interest groups that are in that person's district. So for example, um, trade associations will always be present at the legislature and may have something to offer to improve the bill and bring a little pressure to bear. Social welfare, excuse me, social welfare groups and good government groups are also um, entities that you can look to for help. Thank you. Um, now we're moving on to the last question and it's for Alder Lemmer. Um, we got a lot of feedback about redistricting and voting access. And you obviously, as you mentioned in your opening remarks, worked for Dane County Voter ID Coalition. And you had said that protecting voting rights is a priority for you. What should the state do to expand access to the polls? And do you support moving Wisconsin to an entirely by mail voting system? Yeah, thank you for the question. As you mentioned, this is a, a topic that I feel very passionately about and I, I've worked a lot on um, with the Dane County Voter ID Coalition. So I would, I would support uh, mail-in voting. One thing that we found in Madison through an equity analysis from April 7th was that um, not, you know, everybody feels confident in, in voting by mail. Some folks, you know, underrepresented communities, you know, feel better if they can vote in person um, and feel more, more confidence that their vote will be counted. So I think we should do both. Um, we should have, you know, completely mail-in voting for folks who feel comfortable with that, but I think we should still have um, in-person voting for people who feel more confident in voting that way. Um, you know, obviously we need to get not gerrymandered maps, and we need to have a nonpartisan redistricting commission draw Wisconsin's electoral maps. Uh, voters should choose their representatives, not the other way around. Um, and uh, we need to put people ahead of politicians. Wisconsin has been held up as one of the worst examples in the nation of political gerrymandering. And this is something that is broadly supported according to a January 2019 Marquette Law School poll. 72% uh, of their respondents supported having a nonpartisan commission draw 
our maps and only 18% thought the legislature should do it. Um, and, you know, based on the thousands of conversations I've had with people throughout the 48th Assembly District, this is something that is very important to them as well. So, yes, for mail-in voting, but with sensitivity to, you know, some of our, you know, some Wisconsinites feel more confident in voting in person. So, both. Thank you for that. Um, actually, kind of going off of that, um, obviously, Alder Lemmer does support implementing a nonpartisan redistricting process. I want to hear yes or no from the other three candidates about whether they also support that. Um, Mr. Vangelis, can we start with you? Yes or no, would you support implementing a nonpartisan redistricting process? Absolutely. I, I mentioned uh, previously that I think that the Government Accountability Board had provided a, a perfect uh, vehicle for something like that. And uh, before being the pariah of the, of the gerrymandering world, the, the GAB was, uh, you know, lauded in academic circles as, as, a, as a good, uh, good government policy. Thank you. Um, Alder Baldo, let's go to you. Would you support implementing a nonpartisan redistricting process? I think democracy is supposed to be for the people, by the people. Uh, uh, so uh, politicians should not determine who go and vote for them. Uh, so I'm completely 100% in support of, 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 of an independent group uh, doing that. Thank you. Mr. Stewart, what about you? Yes, I like the idea of the nonpartisan commission, but I would also point to the Wisconsin Constitution, Article 4, Section 3, that specifically delegates that responsibility to the legislature. So I like the nonpartisan commission idea to propose a nonpartisan map. Then you need to have that map to show the legislature, hey guys, this is what a nonpartisan map looks like. And then you have something against which they can measure. Until you put their nose in it, they will not pay any attention to it. So we have to find a way to work for a nonpartisan commission, but realize that unless you change Article 4, Section 3, you're not going to get very far. Thank you all for that. Um, now we'll move on to closing remarks. And uh, we'll go in reverse order of opening remarks. So that means, Mr. Stewart, you get to go first. Um, please go ahead and take two minutes. Thank you to the Capital Times and to our moderators today. Assembly District 48 is fortunate to have four good people running for this office, and I'm proud to be in this group. Please let me share my vision as we go forward. I find two major themes in this election and for beyond the election. The first is equality for all. Black Lives Matter has done a good job of raising the issue of racial equality on focusing on such issues as banning chokeholds. I have spoken against the doctrine of qualified immunity, which makes it very hard to hold police officers responsible for lawless conduct. Unless we reform qualified immunity, I do not think we're going to make much progress in this area. Uh, another, equality for women, protecting women's health and protecting fair, play, fair pay. Equality for the LGBTQ plus community. I've spoken about uh, the need to ban conversion therapy. We have a majority in this country now that wants serious progress towards equality. We need to keep the momentum going past November and well, well into the next two years. The second theme I find in this election is COVID-19 equity. COVID-19 will change how we vote, work, learn, tax, and budget. And the candidates will have no shortage of ideas telling you what you should be doing about COVID-19. The bottom line is that COVID-19, will we really don't know enough about it until we can manage it. By managing it, we can identify the problems and come up with the solutions that will help us to revive our markets, return to school, and resume our lives. 
The, most importantly, the burdens of change caused by this legislation should not fall upon those persons not able to carry the load. I am the best prepared person for this job. I said 37 years helping families and small businesses. That's the kind of constituent service that you want. You can find out more about me at stewartforassembly.com. You want experience that works. I want to be your legislator and your advocate, and I hope that I've earned your vote tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Alder Balda, you're up next. All right. Thank you, Brian. Uh, thank you, CapTime, for organizing this and my fellow uh, contestant. Uh, uh, I think, like uh, Mr. Walter said, uh, we have a pool of good candidates here, but we really uh, uh, have different highlights. So I ask for your vote uh, tonight because I think I am the most qualified candidate. Among the group, I'm the one who ran and led a legislative branch. Uh, I'm the one who has uh, a personal experience coming from poverty. I know what it means uh, to uh, walk your way up. I'm the one who has that personal experience where education was not the norm but I forced my way to, to educate myself. I have a personal uh, professional experience. I have worked in the corporate world, and I, so I know what it means to work with corporations. But I am also on the grassroots. I am a grassroots, not, I, I don't call myself a politician, but a grassroots advocate. We have serious challenges in the next years. COVID has removed the cap on what the problem is, particularly if it comes to healthcare. Our black population die at a rate of six times than the other populations. I live in that community. I am at the grassroots. I am the one who has been to the hospital with constituent members to help them get services at community hospitals. I am the one who has gone to immigration to help immigrants not be deported for no good reason. I am the one who has been at the Dane County uh, 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 Job Center to help people get jobs. So I am at the community. I am the one who is dealing with uh, 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 suicide victims. My own cousin left my house about three years ago and never came back until today. I am at the grassroots. For us to make policies that are reflective of our community needs, we all have to be at the community. Politics should not be a career for any one of us. Politics should not be a retirement job for any one of us. I am the only candidate who is coming here to service the people, to listen to the people, and legislate according to their needs. So I ask for your vote. I ask for your support, for I will work with you. I will listen to you, and I will cross aisle to make sure that even though the state assembly is controlled by Republican, that we make progress. We cannot give up just because it is controlled by Republican. They are human beings like us. So I will work to make sure that we work together that way. And so if you want to read more about my policies, go to sambaforstateassembly.com. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you, CapTime. I really appreciate the conversation uh, with my colleagues. Uh, I am looking forward to uh, other good conversation around this area. I hope we will go through this process, uh, you know, uh, uh, using civility within apologies. Thank you. Thank you. Alder Lemmer, your turn. 
Thank you. And thank you to the CAP Times for organizing tonight's debate. And, and thank you to Jason and Samba and Walt for sharing your ideas and your vision for the 48th Assembly District. This is an unprecedented time. The challenges we face make me more committed than ever to surveying in the State Assembly. We need to invest in effective solutions to end disparities. It is time for action, not talk. We need to rebuild our economy in the wake of COVID-19. It is time for equity and inclusion and an economy that works for everyone. We need to invest in education at all levels, from pre-kindergarten to apprenticeships. It is time for increased access to education. We need to protect our right to vote and draw fair maps that end gerrymandering. It is time for people to choose their representatives instead of the politicians choosing their voters. And we must protect our clean air and clean water. It is time, it is past time, to take bold steps to confront climate change. I have a track record of proven results. I will stand up for our shared values and I will make change happen by turning those values into action every day. As an alder, I've supported the Market Ready Program, a business training and microgrant program for underrepresented communities, sponsored responsible updates to our stormwater management ordinances so that we are prepared for more and more of these serious weather events related to climate change. I have worked on ordinances to reduce harmful plastic waste, and I have worked to increase access to voting. As the president of the Wisconsin chapter of NOW, I led the charge against anti-choice and discriminatory legislation at the state level. As a communications chair for the Dane County Voter ID Coalition, I work to support and protect voting rights. Together, we can move this city, our state, and our nation forward toward a more just, inclusive, and fair society. You have my pledge that I will work my hardest every day to do my part as your next state representative. I ask for your vote in the 48. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Vangelis. Last but not least, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, and thank you, uh, Chris, our, our, our go-to timekeeper in, in all of this, and thank you, Cap Times and Wisconsin I, and of course, I appreciate the spirited debate tonight and, and the ideas uh, that uh, were flowing this evening. I, I talked earlier about the reason why I decided to run, and that, at the core of that idea is community and building strong communities for tomorrow is essential to building a prosperous and, and uh, strong Wisconsin. And I think that begins with the rebuilding following the devastation of coronavirus. We have to focus on rebuilding our economy. And that means that making sure that when growth happens again, that everyone's vote rises, that especially black and Latinx communities are left out of it and we break down barriers. And for the last uh, decade, I worked in economic development, doing just that through social economic development and using intentional policies. I've worked with elected officials and community leaders across this country and here in Wisconsin on building good economic development policy that correlates to good workforce development policy that expands economic opportunity for everyone. And we can do that here on the, on the north and east side by looking at our $16 billion economy and how we build job diversification into, those, in, into our economy. We need to make sure that we have access to affordable health care by breaking down complexities and inefficiencies in that systems, working with healthcare organizations and physician groups, along with payers uh, in the state of Wisconsin. We also need to, to create healthy living programs that, that reduce the cost of, of care for folks living in the state of Wisconsin. 
I mentioned uh, briefly the, the experience that my own family has had with, uh, with the criminal justice system. We need wholesale uh, reformation of our criminal justice system that includes looking at things like uh, uh, remolding our bail system and, and decriminalization of, of nonviolent crimes. I'm a first-generation college graduate and raised by a single mom uh, on welfare. I understand what it means to struggle and work hard for uh, the things that you earn in your life. But more than ever, we're facing difficult times. And I have experienced responding to coronavirus and rebuilding economies. And those are both activities that we need to focus on. And I'm confident that my leadership in my experience, I will help rebuild the city of Madison and the state of Wisconsin. If you want to learn more about me and my candidacy, go to votevanglis.com. That's V-A-N-G-A-L-I-S. Or feel free to email me at jason at votevanglis.com. Thank you all so much for allowing me to go um, quite a bit over. And thank you all for watching. Um, once again, the primary between these four candidates is on August 11th, and the winner of that election will go on to face Republican Samuel Anderson in November. Tell us about the questions or key issues you want candidates to address. Please visit go.captimes.com PA to help us build our people's agenda. Everyone is also invited to discuss the problems they, they, they most want solved and the questions they most want answered in our local Voices Network virtual conversation, which is scheduled for next week, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Sign up at lvn.org captimes. And keep an eye out at the Cap Times for more candidate forums in the coming weeks in the other open legislative seats in Dane County. Thank you all again and have a good night. Thank you. Thanks, night. everyone. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.